my name is Diana. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I serve as one of the graduate assistants at University of Minnesota's Asian Pacific American Resource Center, or APARC. Welcome to APARC's podcast, Dinner Talks with Diana, Racialized Experiences of AAPI Educators. Thank you for tuning into our series where I'll be talking with a couple of educators who identify as Asian American Pacific Islander. Guests will share stories around what it means to be an AAPI educator, how they have navigated teaching, both the joys and the struggles, why educator representation is important, and more. The podcast amplifies the voices of those who are fostering the young minds of the future, and in doing so, we hope to provide resources, opportunities, and support for students to explore teaching and education career pathways. This is our very first recording, and I'm happy to introduce our two guests, Gauli Her and Ali Elawanle. Before we get started, and in line with the title, what are you having for dinner tonight? I am having Pokeball for tonight. Nice. Sounds so good. Um, I just shoved in some macaroni and cheese, like quickly. I made it for my kids, and then I was just like, okay, quick, take a bite before I get on here. So probably eat some more later. I don't know what it will be. Yes, mom duties. Um, I, Ali, I also don't know what I'm having for dinner because I had a very late lunch with my sister and stepdad. He cooked, he made um, steamed lobster. And we had it with um, some loud dipping sauce and an omelet and, of course, with some rice. Yum. Okay. So um, let's get started. If I could ask you both to introduce yourselves, just let us know your name, pronouns if you use them, um, where you're located, and then your profession. Go ahead, Kali. Thanks. Um, so my name is Dao Li, and my preferred pronouns is she, her, hers. I am located in Roseville, Minnesota, and I am a high school math teacher over at Champlain Park High School. Uh, my name is Ali Alawanle, and I go by she, her, hers, and I teach in Excelsior Elementary in Minnetonka School District. Awesome. Oh, sorry. What do I teach? <laughs> sorry. Um, I teach fourth and fifth grade gifted ed. Thank you. Um, and then the first question is, how were you inspired to pursue teaching? Um, so I actually did horrible in math in the seventh grade, like just did not pay attention at all. And then my parents moved us to suburban Cottage Grove um, from St. Paul. And then I was like, what is going on? Where are all my Hmong folks? Where are all my people of color? <laughs> and then because of less social distractions, I started paying attention. And I just um, was just so awed at how well my math, grade, math eighth grade teacher was. And uh, his name is Mr. Paul. And uh, I always remember how sweet he was. And, I finally got into my gut one day to go and ask him to help me with inequalities. And when he helped me, he just made it so easy to understand. And um, every day I was just like, wow, I'm gonna be a math teacher just like him. And here I am 20 plus, not 20 plus, but you know, 15 plus years later. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. 
I feel like the same as you, Gully, that it's like a relationship you had with a teacher that was really great. But I also like, I've always, always, since I was really little, as little as I can remember before even school, just loved, loved learning, but I didn't always love school. So wanting to provide students that opportunity to, to instill that love of learning, but also that school can be an okay place to be. Um, I did not have the best experiences in school, um, but just again, carrying on that love of learning was important to me for students. Thank you both. It's um, always a nice reminder of the teachers who've made the biggest impact in your life, no matter how many years it's gone by that you still remember them. Um, and then in what ways do you think, I, I think you both already touched on this, but in what ways do you think your personal experiences have influenced your teaching? Um, I think that aside from like just my initial spark of why I was, how I was inspired, um, as I got more in tune with who I am and my identity as like a person of color, as an Asian person, as a Hmong person, um, I started to realize the complexities of, of what it takes to navigate through this education system. And that's what inspired me even further. Like, this is why I'm going to become an educator, because there are folks who are like me, whether black or brown or Asian, you know, that need that representation. And that is um, what influenced me and drove me to keep on going. Yeah, we're, we're very similar in the way that um, I would agree, like what inspired me is, again, those relationships, like the good relationships I had with teachers inspired me to want to teach and then the bad relationships inspire me to like what to do and what not to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And then kind of like Ali said, is just moving on further as I became an educator, as I continued on, like thinking more about my own identity. And also I work with gifted students. So thinking about like meeting their needs, um, just all of that as you grow as an educator, like when you first start in your career, it's kind of like you, you just don't really know much, honestly, like no matter how much teacher preparation you have, you don't, you don't know. And so you kind of just throw yourself in the flames and you do the best you can. And as you, each year you acquire more and more expertise and knowledge and that just again, fuels you to keep going. I know some teachers, like the attrition rate is so bad. A lot of teachers, as they grow, they, it's, it's really challenging because it's, it's wonderful and inspiring, but it's very challenging and there's really high teacher burnout. But again, a lot of my personal experiences like fueled me and continued me to be encouraged. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ali. And you brought up teacher preparation programs. So the next question is, what was your teacher preparation program like? More specifically, I'm wondering what kind of support and resources you had as an educator of color and things that you wish you had. Um, when I, I, I was at the U of M, so I finished my undergrad and I went right into the initial licensure program. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think this is kind of weird to say, but it was like the first time that I had like my white culture shock when I real like when I was like the few of like POCs in that group. There was like two of us, but I felt like maybe I was a little more in tune with who I am as a person POC versus the other person who was in that group. Excuse me. Um, but even so, that was very challenging for me, and I felt like there wasn't enough support like we were given lessons these lessons called the great lessons that taught us what it meant to um, what the education system in the united states is like what it meant to teach not not really what it meant to teach black students but it kind of like gave us like you know all of that and it was just really uncomfortable for me 
Um, although I think the math program set aside from all the other pedagogical stuff that they were trying to throw at us was very great. Like the method of the methods courses that we were in, I loved it. I think definitely helped um, me prepare for my teaching career. And I wish that I had teachers of color like stuff, affinity groups when that was the case. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and I learned that the year after me or two years after me, they did create that. And I was really happy that, you know, that that's just the educator mindset in us that we we're, we don't think about what like, oh man, like why didn't they have it the year I did? And it would have been awesome if they did, but um, the fact that they just considered that years later was so important that those educators of color did um, did get that support. Um, although I felt the lack of support in the program itself, during the time that I was student teaching, where I'm teaching right now, um, I don't know if you know who Verna Wong is, she is great. Um, she um, was looking to do this research project about what it meant to pair a person of color with another person of color. So then they paired me with my co-teacher and she's Hindi. And um, before I was paired with my co-teacher, my cooperating teacher, I meant, I was really nervous, like, who am I gonna end up with? Like, am I gonna end up with like a nice white woman or a nice white male teacher? who's just like, here's the math, go tweet, teach it. Or am I gonna be paired with a nice white male or female who um, cares about who I am as a person of color because that's, that's, that's how I represent myself. And that's how I identify myself first, right? But then I got paired with her and we established this relationship and we're now um, best friends with each other. And you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm still, Sorry, excuse me. I'm still working. They actually hired me on and um, I'm still working there. And so that I'm just so thankful to have had that experience. Because it was huge because we're both we both happen to be petite little Asian women. We both happen to be teaching math and we were the only two like and like she broke a lot of barriers for me because she had to explain to um, the group why she was still living with her parents even because she's not married yet. And you know, the folks didn't even understand. But when I came in, it was like, I was like literally a replica of her that I didn't have to go through some of the things that she did. And so, um, you know, I'm going a little more than I would like to say, but just providing how awesome that experience was for me and that how that's shaped me. I'll be just brief. I mean, there was really very little support in the teacher prep program. Actually, there was nice support in my undergrad program. Um, they put us in cohorts with other BIPOC students. So like all the other students in my like courses were all students of color, which was really amazing. But then of course, when we branched off to our specialties and I was in the education program at the U, I went to the U2 Valley. Um, yeah, like there wasn't anything like that. So I wish that would have carried on into the graduate work. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, Kelly, I like the point that you made that for educators, it's not about um, being resentful or wishing that we had those things. While we wish that we did have those things, the large, the more important part is that we are happy that um, administrators and whoever is coordinating is learning from um, the needs from the classes before. 
So of course, with APARC work, we are very centered on our racial identities. That means I'm going to ask you questions that are race focused now. Um, and first, what has been your overall experience as an AAPI educator in asking that question? Um, are there any highlights and challenges that come up for you right away after you've heard me asking that? Ali, I'll let you go share one of it. Oh, that's okay, Gali. Thank you. Um, I feel like teaching in general is a very isolating profession. And like, as a BIPOC teacher, like it's even more so, you know, when you bring up issues and you're and the staff is predominantly white and there's pushback or they don't quite understand or it kind of falls on deaf ears. So it's even more isolating, I feel. Um, so what my highlight, the highlights for me are my students. Like that is it. That is the reason why I do what I do. Like everything else can melt away because that's what brings me joy. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what keeps me up at night. Like all the other stuff around like just floats away and that's what I have to really center myself on and focus on. Um, and then again, just challenging wise of, of being one of the only voices. I do work in a Chinese immersion school. I'm not a Chinese immersion teacher. I'm not Chinese, but often get mistaken as being a Chinese immersion teacher. Um, and so like I, there are definitely other Asian, quite a few Asian teachers in my school, but it, it's, as we all know, not all Asians are the same. And so their experience sometimes gets like mine's different. And so, um, it's just, it's very, it's isolating, but I think the important thing is find your crew, find the people, well, whether they're, they're white colleagues or they're Asian colleagues, it doesn't really matter. The people who acknowledge you and celebrate you and support you and they do acknowledge your voice and they do um, stand up for you. That's what's important. Yeah, I would like to piggy off of that. Um, highlights for sure the students and I mean, if you are in this profession and you're not here for the students and the students don't give you joy, then I really think you should think twice about why you are doing what you're doing. Um, and I believe that what has been my best experience is that I've learned at first, I was really excited to be a good representation for my Asian students. Then I've learned more that it's not just about the Asian students, it's about the BIPOC students. Um, and then I've learned more, even more, like even way more deep into that, that it's also for the white students. Like, I bring representation for all students, and I'm here for all students. And that the fact that when they step into the classroom and they see somebody who they're not used to, that is how powerful is that? Um, and they they don't they don't realize it, you know. But it's 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 good for all aspects of it. And so, and the challenges I would say I'm always going to bring it back to the BIPOC students is that. When you grow up in the community that you did, I did grow up in St. Paul before I moved to Cottage Grove, and you see the challenges that these students, these BIPOC students face, and you know, you know, and you can relate to those experiences that they have. And it, it brings a different set of emotions to you than it does a white teacher. Um, the other day, I was working with another Hmong student, and I, um, his, his dad came in and yelled at him while we were on the Google Me. And I was like, you know, why didn't you watch the younger siblings? Let them go into the kitchen. And he was just like, well, how am I supposed to know? I was in my room all day and I could just sense some frustration. And I was afraid that he was mad at his dad. Like, is he going to be, is he one of those kids who retaliate and or get mad? And I kept trying to address it like, hey, it's okay. You know, I grew up in a Hmong family too. I know what it's like to take care of my younger siblings. And then he was just like, oh, it's whatever. And so I thought he was mad. And so when we left the call at the very end, he said, um, oh, it's okay. I respect my dad a lot. He wakes up at 3 a.m. in the morning to go to work and I can never do that. 
And then he left the call and I just, I got so emotional. I'm getting emotional now, but it's like, we understand these things that they go through and it makes the, the teaching career that much harder, whether that be the joys of it or the, um, the, the, the challenges of it, right? Thank you so much, Gali. Um, I can hear and sense the really embodied and visceral feelings um, that's coming up for you. Um, and I think that that's one of the big differences of teaching students of color as you yourself as a person of color, right? Like we don't, we don't have the luxury of just intellectualizing something or being able to separate ourselves from who we are seeing in, in our teaching. Um, so then my next question is, I, I read a lot of research that talk about the ways that students of color benefit academically, emotionally, spiritually, when their teachers um, are of the same race, Kelly, that's what you're talking about now. Um, and so I'm wondering, how do you understand your role in this? Um, how do you connect with students in this regard or even with parents? I feel like um, it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial and one of the reasons why I did not like school. Um, I didn't feel like I fit. I didn't feel like I belonged. No, there was not a teacher, an administrator. There was no one in the education field that I ever saw that looked like me, nor any person of color. It was all white, 100% white. And that I feel like caused a lot of trauma and um, unintentional trauma, but like, I just never felt like I belonged. And that's why I said, I love learning, but I didn't love school. And I didn't see, I didn't feel like school is a place for me. Um, so I know it's crucial and it's life-saving. And I can see the difference, like Golly mentioned, like when you can connect with students on a one-on-one -on -one level and say like, I get this, I know what you're going through. I've been through these similar situations or um, even talking to families. Like I'll, I'll talk to students one-on-one -on -one in small groups and conferences, but I'll also talk to families. I can, I can talk pretty candidly about this stuff with, with families who have gone through the same thing and parents at conferences. So again, it's, it's absolutely crucial. The research is 100% right. And just making sure that we connect with those students, but also bringing up race to white students too. And saying like, hey, who's in the margins when you're reading this? Who's who's centered when you're reading this. So like bringing it up, not just and connecting to students who look like us, but students who don't look like us so they can start recognizing and identifying some of the things that we struggle with and they'll never know because they don't have that lens until we provide that lens. I think Ali covered that pretty well. Thank you so much, um, Ali. You bring back a point that Ali had mentioned earlier that I was um, wanting to hear more about, and, and that is um, your role as an educative color for Kelly was saying that it's not only for the Asian American students, but BIPOC students in general, and then the larger um, white students. So can you just tell me a little bit more about your experience in that or why you see that as important? Well, I, I mean, Ali works in Manitonga. And so, you know, I, I where I'm from, we actually have maybe more, I'm just going off an assumption, more BIPOC students at my building at Champlain Park. We have about 40% students of color. And um, I, I started realizing that when a lot of my little freshman white girls like talked to me so much and I never, 
I guess I experienced a little tiny bit of um, what Ali was talking about, unintentional trauma with my program with like, with the white culture shock and understanding more. You know, I grew up in a little bubble St. Paul, so everybody was my friend. It didn't matter what, what, what friend, what color you are. Um, and then when I tried the same thing and, and it didn't, for some weird reason, my year, I just couldn't connect with this group at all. And so I just kind of guarded myself. But when I started realizing the connections that I was making with these um, non-BIPOC students, I was like, wow, it's so important for them to see that their teacher is not just a normal white female face or you know male or whatnot. And I may fulfill the stereotypical Asian um, math, great at math, but I always tell them, you guys don't know, I am not East Asian. I am Southeast Asian. And we, we are like, woo, way down here, you know? <laughs> um, and I am just so proud of myself for becoming who I am. And so I always make sure I tell my kids this, that they know. And what's even more important was that my first year, I had a funeral to attend. And um, my, our, my monk funerals, you know, they went before COVID, they lasted four days long. And so I was, I didn't know what to tell my students because I was still very young. Uh, and I, my cooperating teacher then was like, just tell them, this is, here's your opportunity to, to teach them who you are. And so I told them like, I can't get your test graded because I have a funeral to attend to. And when you're just honest with these kids and you learn to embrace who you are, um, not only are your BIPOC students learning from that because they're like, wow, that's all, that's all it takes to embrace who I am. You're also educating those who are non-BIPOC. Really, I appreciated a lot of the things that you brought up. Um, and to the point on stereotypes, I often think about this phrase that I've heard that um, the thing about stereotypes is not that they're not true, but that they're incomplete. And I think part of you saying, yeah, I'm Asian and I'm good at math and I'm not East Asian, I'm Southeast Asian and Southeast Asians experience a lot of other disparities um, that are different from the larger Asian American category, right? Um, so I, I also appreciate your um, honesty and vulnerability in sharing with your students about what you are going through. I think that a lot of times when I was in K through 12, I never thought about my teachers as having lives outside of the classroom, right? Like when you see them at grocery stores or wherever else, they're like, what the, what am I doing here? Or what are you doing here actually? And so I think it's, it's always important to remember that teachers are humans outside of their teacher roles. And um, I, I really appreciate that. Those are things that come up for you in your classroom. Um, going back to Ali saying that school wasn't a place for her because of the overall whiteness of schooling, I'm wondering as teachers of color and a predominantly white teaching force, have either of you ever felt alienated, isolated, or even outright discriminated against from your colleagues or your students from administrators? Um, and if so, how did you deal with those situations? I, I mean, I've definitely had, I mean, it's had some isolating situations and um, 
for a while. I, so I'm in a, a program for highly gifted children. And when I first started the program, I was the only teacher in my building. So I was like, truly, I didn't have a team. That wasn't like the math team or the fourth grade team. I was just by myself. And so part of that was like, I was left out of emails and discussions and people just assume things. Um, I was disregarded. Sometimes when I spoke up of certain issues in particular, having Asian students with me because of the importance of that, they, I was like scoffed at like, oh, you just want the smart kids. Again, I'm like, hello, like that's just again, leaning into the whole idea, the stereotype of the Asian smart. And so um, people just not understanding and really my idea is kind of getting pushed on. And then also not necessarily discrimination for my students. There's been misunderstandings for my students about different cultures in general, but not towards me. So just talking through that and kind of um, correcting that, but also through administration, like administration treating you differently too. I don't know, Gali, if you've had that experience, but that's definitely something that I've experienced um, where you know I'll do something and a colleague does something the same and it's treated differently. Um, as well as like, when I do speak up about race-based issues, I have been um, like, had my, my wrist slapped and those kind of things. So definitely experienced those. I am actually very, very privileged where I'm at. Um, my admin team, like they praise me, the math specialist, they praise me. Um, they, they, they value the skills that I have. And that, that makes me feel better because then like sometimes I'm worried like they they hire me because of who I am, like because I'm Asian and they just need another Asian person in this building or they hire me because of my skills. And when my skills are valued and validated, then it shows me that I am doing it correctly. Um, and so I'm very privileged in that regards. We also have a coalition for the um, Teachers of Color in Champlain Park. And so admin has my back. Uh, I can go to those higher folks and know that if the lower folks are not treating me right somehow, um, after um, analyzing the situation, of course, then I know that they have my back. The only thing about that is that it creates this divide between me and my coworkers, because then, oh, there goes Gali at it again. Like she's great at everything she does. And it's like, no, like, Yes, I do do the most. And yes, I do put a lot of work into what I do because I value a um, high quality lesson. And, but, and, and my intentions are never meant to make you feel like you're not as great because I'm more than happy to share. But then when I share, they're always like, oh, that's too much. <laughs> so then I'm always having this feeling in my stomach like, oh, they don't like me. And I'm always talking to my cooperating teacher, who, you know, that the Hindi teacher too, that, you know, maybe they don't like me, da, da, da. and she's always like, no, they're just, just making fun of you. Da, da. But, and I don't think that they don't like me, it's just my thoughts eating me up, but it makes me feel that way because sometimes as a person of color, we never know what our counterparts are thinking about us really. My next question then um, is, what are some things you think public schools can do to make schools better workplaces for educators of color? And this speaks to um, Allie talking about attrition rates of teachers earlier. It sounds like Allie, you have the um, teachers of color, uh, I forget what it's called, but the community of teachers of color. And that sounds like a great start and a great and supportive community. But what other things do you both 
wish that you had? I, I can say what, oh, sorry, go ahead, Golly. Like you have a coalition for teachers of color at your school. Like we don't have anything like that in our school district. So I really wish, I know the power of having a coalition or an affinity group for teachers or groups of color. And um, like I had that in college and it was, that was the first time I had experienced it was my freshman year in college and the last time I experienced it. And the power of that was just, it sticks with me. So I really wish that we could have something like that in the district, not just for, for um, teachers, but for students and families. Um, and that's what I really would hope for. So you're so, you're so lucky, Golly. Yeah, the um, coalition is amazing. Um, we actually have my building in my school district at my building, we probably have the most teachers of color because a lot of the teachers of color who are coming from the other buildings, is it's kind of an alley situation where they're kind of by themselves. But there's about eight to nine to 10 of us at my building. And way out in Champlain, that's a lot. Um, and half of us are Asian. <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, Korean American adopted. Um, we have a Lao teacher. We have another Hmong teacher there. Um, Chinese, Hindi, like it. That's a lot. Uh, and I think we. I'm just. I'm. I am very privileged, and to have the support is so 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 important. As the where I'm working, uh, my principal is actually hired two black APs within the last two years. And so we are hiring more and more. And, and you know, I'm always looking out for these uh, BIPOC folks, like, please, 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 you're hiring these people because of their skills, not because of who they, like their skin color. Um, and yeah, we're, we're just, and I see that the effort that my administrator, the, the principal is making is a genuine effort to try to recruit more and more BIPOC admins, um, whether that, and we also have like a black secretary and like things like that. And so it's just seeing more in that and seeing that your admin is investing in that makes you feel completely validated versus like, dang, you know, I wish kind of like, kind of like what Ali's feeling really. Thank you. Um, that makes me happy to hear that there are intentional efforts um, to recruit educators of color. Now I'll ask you both um, more practical questions that are in the classroom. The first is, are you involved in curriculum development or decision making? If yes, um, what are some changes you've implemented or things you've maintained? And if no, why not? Would you want to be? Um, and if so, what would you want to happen? Um, well, I am involved in like the lesson planning and like really, like if you're talking about like big decision-making, no, but that's because I choose not to. Like I'm happy where I'm at in the classroom. But if you're just talking about like lesson planning and as a team, then yes, um, I am involved in that. And, you know, whatever I plan for that specific day, if I'm in charge of Monday, then the teachers who are also teaching the same, uh, maybe algebra, then they also try, they also use that lesson that I make. Um, I, like I said, I'm really, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm not interested in doing 
higher level work. And so I don't mind if they don't involve me unless I see like a big issue with it, then I do bring it up. And lucky for me, the math specialist, I have a great relationship with him and admin. And if there is a huge issue, I can bring it up to them and be like, hey, this is not okay. And they would most likely 95% of the time listen to me. Um, so 10 years ago when we our program first started, I was the first teacher in the program. And so there was no curriculum at all. So my partner and I, we wrote the curriculum and developed it. So, and 10 years later, we're still, I'm still part of curriculum review. Like the curriculum that I wrote 10 years ago, we're still pretty much using, but of course it goes into review every few years. And I'm usually on one of those committees, whether it's for math or language arts. Um, and some changes I made specifically that weren't in the curriculum that I found were lacking in like the traditional education, like very, um, intentional about executive functioning skills. Like I wanna incorporate that uh, to help my students with prioritization and organizing. And then also like social thinking and habits of mind. So really trying to get, it's really geared. It's geared it's, and it's good for all students, but specifically in mind, my population, which is highly gifted students. So that's kind of what I've been doing. I do wanna add um, that like just not looking at the bigger scale but i like to do because i mentioned that i like to do things at a smaller scale and i like to do things from, from like more behind the scenes so there are some changes like not curriculum really related but like honors courses where i definitely look out for like more bipoc students especially the black and brown students not enough of them are um even looked at right like oh you're black and brown you're not good you don't do well in school like you know let's get the move along but i the moment I recognize one, or even if they're not like super A++, I'm going to try to challenge them and I try to push them towards the honors route. And that's so important because I'm not saying that the white teachers are not doing that, but I don't know if their unconscious biases are blocking them from doing that. That's a really good point, Kelly. Uh, you, you talked about like everyday um, kind of lesson planning. Um, and I think that that's also important. A lot of the students, the undergrads that I teach, that's also one of their maybe questions or concerns is like the, the smaller scale lesson planning of how much uh, freedom they have in that. And I think a lot of times students are afraid that they are so confined and restricted by um, standards and state, state standards, right? And so it sounds like um, you both see some like room for doing your own thing, is that right? Yes. Um, okay, my next question is, um, could you please share an explanation or a definition of what you understand culturally relevant teaching to be? And if you have an example of how you've incorporated cult culturally relevant um, teaching in your lessons in your classrooms. In the math, oh sorry, uh, in the math context, it's actually really hard. And so, yes, although I do have a little bit of autonomy when it comes to uh, making my own lessons, it's still very hard for me to implement more culturally relevant stuff. Now, before I became a teacher, when I thought culturally relevant, I'm like, I thought every day my, my problem had to involve like something culture related. Um, but I've learned over time that it's just, how intentional you are with what you do. It doesn't have to be a problem relating a certain background. Um, and so when I say intentional, like 
how am I connecting with my black and brown students? How am I connecting with, you know, a particular group of students? And just that alone makes you culturally relevant. You're aware. Um, and but but something that's just more straightforward is um, if you can see the Hmong pattern behind me, it's very, very geometrical. And I always talk about this, but I include that in my geometry lessons when we talk about the um, reflections and rotations and whatnot. And I'm still trying to think of more innovative ways of how I can include, like I've, I've thought about this, and I've said this a million times to my colleagues, but I've never actually implemented because when do we ever have time as teachers, but to include um, hair braids of like African-American groups and how I can include that into a mathematical context so that they also see themselves in the math class. And I'm, I'm having a hard time with that, but these are ideas that I have in mind. I don't know. I think it sounds like you're pretty culturally relevant. Like, even though you said it's hard in math, like it's the, it's the relationships. It's not the content. So like, what are your students to remember about you that you cared, that you took an interest, that you empathized? That's what they're going to care about. And so I think I would agree with Golly that it's the relationships that you build and the, the connections versus the content. But also like, I think it's really, really important to teach students the skills and provide them the skills to have them act to be, allow them to access the dominant culture, but also to help sustain their own culture so that they can have these skills to be able to, to thrive really and thrive in the existing culture, um, the dominant culture, but also being able to say, hey, we're still acknowledging your culture and sustaining it and we don't want it going anywhere. Um, I think it's really important to like, like, so for me, with teaching language arts and history and humanities, like I'm really trying to diversify the white centric curriculum, right? So I'm all about like making sure I have ample literature, ample art, ample examples of authors of color, and not just and not just like um, characters of color that like are oppression stories or like stock stereotypical characters, but really just like to show the everyday beauty of Asian Americans, the everyday beauty of Black Americans and Indigenous people. Um, and just show the complexity that it's not just this one, like like you said, Diana. From a, I think it's from a, a single story um, that it's there's more to it than just this one piece. Um, and just also kind of providing different assessments, like giving kids different ways to show what they know based on cultural norms. Like writing is always pushed as a way, but I'll say like if you're more comfortable verbally explaining, so giving students an opportunity to respond and show what they know in a variety of ways. So it's not just in the way in which the white traditional way is to assess. Yes, Ali, thank you so much for all of those examples that you've provided. Um, I think that that helps push um, the idea that culturally relevant teaching isn't only about like using cultural reference reference for students to um, understand what's going on in the classroom as connected to the quote outside world, right? Um, and so the world within the schools is not real. They all are all real and interconnected. Um, I think that you're really talking, you both are really talking about the ways that um, culturally relevant teaching also requires teachers being human with your students and creating relationships. Um, and so how do you cultivate positive relationships with your students um, and create a sense of class community? Um, I think if you really want to look at it from a BIPOC like perspective, 
then some of the really awesome examples that I always share is like the the day that my librarian my, my librarian student brought me librarian food and like I was eating it in front of another librarian student um, without knowing that the other student bought it for me and just eating that in front of them and then seeing them seeing me eat eat that food um, it was after school uh, and they just that small connection like hey what are you eating I, I that's the food I eat um, and that's just so cool like food food is how we connect uh, another in, another food story is eating rice uh, I had a student sitting in my class and she said miss her um, uh, somebody told me I wasn't normal for eating rice and I'm like well you tell them they're not normal for eating rice like <laughs> like they're not normal because they're not eating rice every day and so she started laughing and just teaching these students to embrace who they are because like what Ali said like she didn't feel like she fit in and um you know when I started when I was in school I didn't feel that 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 left out but you still have this fear that oh people are going to think you're weird because you're not just an average white person and you need to teach these BIPOC students that you should embrace who you are that is who you are. That is normal to you. That is okay. Go out into the world and reveal that this is what I do when I'm home. I live in a crazy home. I have a lot of siblings. I'm taking care of my siblings. I'm doing all of this. This is normal to me. And this is who I am. And just sharing that experience with them so that they also see it allows them to embrace themselves earlier on than waiting until they get into college to like to, to really find their identity, right? and helping that will make it hopefully easier for them to navigate as they continue in this education system. And like I said earlier too, that also allows us to educate our white students as we are sitting there con making connections with our students of color. For sure. No, I completely agree with Gauli that it's about cultivating those relationships like one-on-one -on -one and getting to know them and showing who you are as a human being and celebrating who they are. I don't think there's, it's not challenging, right? Like, it's just like seeing them, I see you. Like, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. That's all it's about. And I think that's all people really want all the time. Um, so moving into our closing, um, the first question I'd like to know is, Given society's negative perceptions of teaching and of teachers, did you both grow up thinking that teaching would be a good profession? I think you talked a little bit about that in the beginning, but also in that question, do you have advice for um, AAPI students who are not sure about teaching or those who um, haven't considered teaching as a profession? It, it, it is hard. <laughs> It is not easy. Um, there are years where you're just like, why the heck did I, be, like, why did I do this? Um, and there are, there are just days where you're so tired of fighting the white people. <laughs> um, now, I, no, now I did talk about how privileged I was, but then, you know, it's not rainbows and butterflies. 
that's just my own little bubble of coalition folks, but there's still, that doesn't just solve racism, that doesn't solve anything yet, you know, that just kind of helps support me as I continue to go through this profession, but it's not easy, but I said earlier, you, you are in this career because of the children. You are here for the children. And when you, when it's really challenging and you just sit there and think back about all of these funny experiences and all of these awesome experiences that I shared, it just, it just reminds you again why you want to become an educator and why you are an educator. And so you keep thinking about that. You keep a happy folder. You, you do that and it will keep driving you. I love your advice, Golly. I 100% agree. And I just feel like um, if you're contemplating, like, is teaching for me or like, I think teaching's for me, but I'm not sure if you're kind of on the fence. I would say if you look at teachers who really stick with it, it's all about like, you love learning. You're enthusiastic about learning. If you yourself love learning, like that's going to be something that will drive you, but your students too. Like if you honor and appreciate those experiences that you have with students and that like you can look into their eyes and say like, look at, we have this. I mean, just think about it. You're with your students more than you are with your family. You see them more than you see your family. So like, that's huge. So if you really value relationships and you value learning, I feel like this could be a long-term career for you. But if those aren't two things aren't important for you, I feel like you will, you could fizzle out pretty quickly. Thank you for those, Kelly. I hear you and echo the exhaustion um, of dealing with whiteness and white supremacy on a daily basis. It gets tiring. Um, and then just the last thing, um, what do you wish you knew before you got into your position now? Um, and just any overall last advice you'd like to give those who are considering a career in teaching. Um, what I wish I knew before I got into the position is like all the knowledge that I've like incurred as my years of teaching, like more about anti-racist pedagogy, more about social emotional learning, like very specific, because you really don't get any of that in teacher prep. I don't know if they offer it now, but back when Gali and I, it seems like we're about the same age, um, went to school, like there was none of that. Like you, you didn't learn about the social needs of students. You didn't learn about the relationship piece. You didn't learn of what anti-racist pedagogy was or to learn about cultural norms so that you could try to break through some of the white supremacy in schools. Like you didn't learn about any of that. And a lot of that really truly, um, they don't necessarily offer, they probably offer more now than they did before in, in, in service trainings and staff development. But a lot of that, like I've had to learn on my own through my own research and my own professional development and going beyond my district. So I feel like if I knew all that before, I just wish like, wow, imagine the student groups I had in my first, second, third year of teaching, like how I could have impacted them with this great stuff I'm doing now. I completely agree. Um, also on the idea of like the social emotional and learning that on your own and just navigating those emotions emotions, emotions, like, so emotional. <laughs> um, like you're just confused. Like what is going on? Why do I feel the way I do? And how do I, how do I navigate those emotions? And I, I wish I knew how, like what Ali was saying, like we weren't, we were just like for me in the math program, like here's how you teach math. 
and here's like pedagogical stuff, but go for it, you know? And like I said, they tried with the, like the whole black students thing, but it was like also painful because if you've ever been in professional development about like racial equity, it's so painful when the targeted audience is not for you, right? And you're just like, I already know all this stuff. And you're just sitting there like, like you're just banging your head. Um, and I wish I knew how to manage those emotions before. And that then the teaching was going to take me through that entire ride. But, and like what Ali was saying, I really hope that they do provide such support groups to prepare these, especially BIPOC teachers, because there's only a few of us in the whole nation, that if you really want us to stay in this profession for these students, then you need to invest in us. What a great way to end this, Ali and Gali. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, your vulnerability, and sharing your experiences and stories with us. Thank you, Diana. Yes, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to Dinner Talks with Diana. You can find more information about A Park's work in general at a park that's a p a r c dot u m n dot e d u we have more episodes with other educators coming up so be sure to like our facebook page and or follow our instagram to stay updated be safe and stay healthy remember our stories matter and our stories are valid bye y'all